travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody wang chung tonight. The movies. Yes! 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 Oh! 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 I'll have what she's having. And the parties. No one in my family ever drinks. That's great! You probably never run out of ice your whole life. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today, a very special interview with a film we hope every Stuck in the 80s fan gets out and gets a chance to see. We talk to director Kiva Rosenfeld from All-American High Revisited. With me as always, it's Bradley in the cruising vessel. You want to work at All American Burger, don't you, Spearsy? Uh, hey, quick question because All American High Revisited is very much like it, it. It bears a resemblance. It's an homage, if you will, to Fast Times at Richmond High. So I have to ask you a Fast Times at Richmond High pop quiz. What is the special sauce made of at uh, All American Burger? Um, is it? Uh... Uh, Thousand Island dressing. Yeah, and then what is the special sauce at Bronco Burger? I believe it is also Thousand Island dressing. Ketchup and mayonnaise. Oh gosh, sorry. Kiva would know that. I'll turn in the keys to the cruising vessel. <laughs> Kiva Rosenfeld would know that. I guarantee it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So Brad had the chance to go solo for the first time and interview the director, Kiva Rosenfeld who did an amazing documentary back in 1983-1984 called American All-American was it called All-American High It was High, called but- All-American High yeah and it like it showed uh, like for a week in a theater someplace was on PBS once and then went into cold storage Here we are 30 years later and now there is All-American High revisited which Features what an ending that where he goes back to the same high school again. Well, yeah, he goes he goes and reconnects with a lot of the kids that well they're not kids anymore any more than we are. I went and talked to a lot of the people that were in the film. So so Brad, tell me the story about how you came across this movie and the director. So about a year ago, there was a screening of this paired with. Um, actually paired with Fast Times down at the Arrow in Santa Monica, but I was out of town. And so I'd seen the trailer, and then uh, I believe it was like Totally 80s, had a post to the trailer and a link to the screening it played at the Birmingham Film Festival that Alan Hunter puts together, uh, MTV original VJ Alan Hunter. Allie from like Totally 80s went and saw this, and she emailed me the next day, you've got to see this. I gave Kiva you guys contact information. You need to talk to him. I'm like, oh, okay. So I get a call from Kiva, and he's like, I'd really, you know, I'd love to, uh, love to show this to you if you guys are available. I'd love to, you know, if you're if you're interested, um, we could maybe we could do an interview for the show. And I'm like, I want to see this movie. You know, <laughs> what do we need to do? You know, send me a copy. And he's like, no, no. It's like I really think it's a better experience if you can see it with people. So let me set up a screening for you. 
okay. This, I, I got to tell you, Steve, this is the most Hollywood thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> he, he calls me up and he's like, okay, so Monday night at the Dick Clark production screening room, you know, just come on down. And so I, I called some of the Stuck in the 80s faithful here. Uh, Marty, you came along with me and one of my other friends, Miles, came with me and uh, drive down there. You know, you get your popcorn and you walk into this small room with these giant leather chairs and they, they show you a movie. And it was like, this is an actual Hollywood screening room. How the hell did this happen? You know, how did, how did, it was a real how did I get here kind of moment. After the movie, we talked with Kiva for about 20 minutes. And then to kind of cap off the Hollywood experience of it, I kind of patted him on the shoulders. We left and I'm, I'll be in touch. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting the elevator. And I'm like, did I really just do that? And, and then kind of the, the vision was all broken the next day when I actually did get in touch with him. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw the movie, I guess it was last week. And I did not – I saw it too in a leather chair, my leather office chair. <laughs> <laughs> because the only way I could watch it was streaming. Uh, and um, so I watched it at work one morning, actually. And I was blown away. I thought it's a really – it's an amazing documentary. It's a, it's a total time capsule of what it was like to be in high school in the mid-'80s. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then you, you, you enjoy this time capsule of the first hour or so, hour and a half. And then you get this – uh, you know the coda where he goes and talks to all of the people that were in the the documentary. Now there's this emotional impact in that of catching up with these people and seeing what they're up to. That's just it's hard to describe. I mean, it just I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I guess it was last week you and Kiva sat down on Skype. Yep, yeah. And and recorded the interview that we're about to hear. And you pull some amazing answers from him. This is an interesting project. I'm really happy he did it. I'm happy he is reaching out to to people like me, you, and Allie because I really think 80s fans out there, if you ever get a chance to see this, it's really – you have to put it on your calendar. It's it's one of those things that will change your life to some degree. It will give you a new perspective on some things. And I, I know that one of the reasons that Kiva reached out to us is he's trying to get the word out. He's trying to get a distribution deal for this picture. Right now, you really kind of have to get lucky and be near one of the film festivals it's playing at to catch it. So – um, I posted something on the Stuck in the 80s Facebook page the other day. There's screenings coming up at the Hamptons Film Festival. I'm not sure what else is kind of uh, is beyond that, but we'll keep people posted. Right. Um, so this is a very unusual episode of Stuck in the 80s. Normally when we talk uh, to a director or about a movie, it's a movie everyone's already seen, and we're reminding you about how great it was and the things you've forgotten. In this case, it's um, us telling you about a movie that you need to see. And Brad and Kiva do an amazing job. So here it is, 30 minutes, about All-American High Revisited with director Kiva Rosenfeld. Hey, Kiva, thanks for chatting with me today. Uh, so today we're going to talk about your documentary, All-American High Revisited, which I saw a week or so ago, and I, I thought it was it was amazing. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it for a couple of days. 
Tell me what you thought about. <laughs> well, it was quite a ride. I mean, one minute I'm laughing at, you know, something somebody said or the fashions. And, and the, the next thing I know, it's like Kevin Costner's on the screen asking his dad to have a catch. You know, it's just, suddenly it's very dusty, <laughs> you know, just cue the waterworks. Uh, you know, it's just I, I couldn't get it out of my head. Wow, that's uh, interesting. So, you know, this is a really unique project, I think. Uh, you know, you shot this in 83, 84, and, and then came back to it 30 years later. How did you come up with the original documentary idea? What, what, kind of, what was the, the genesis of, hey, I want to follow a bunch of 17 and 18-year-olds around with a camera? Well, I had, uh, had come out of film school. I had been making films most of my life. I mean, I was one of those lucky people where... I always knew I wanted to make films. I was 12, 13, making Super 8 films. Oh, and, cool. You know, I went went to film school. So I always knew I wanted, wanted to make films. And uh, I graduated USC and started to become an editor of okay. documentaries. And I had made, a, the you know, the basic social hard-hitting documentaries, police shooting, teenage pregnancy, you know, uh, <laughs> those kind of, you know, your, your standard fare at the time. Or, the or, serious, you know, yeah, hit, hit yeah, the serious uh, notes. But it was a it was a company that had made lots of these uh, movies like uh, for HBO and what they call one off documentaries. Okay. And and at that company there was um, a lot of extra uh, film canisters that okay. there was tales of things. Hey, yeah, exactly. You know, I wanted to make the leap from editor to director, and I you know I I actually like uh, there's a couple of influences. I like the Hollywood high school movies, like the John Hughes movies and Amy Heckling's film Fast okay. Times at Ridgemont High. I, I really sure. do like, you know, I think those movies. And there was also a documentary made called High School, classic documentary by Frederick Wiseman. And I was thinking, you know, high school is one of those things. It's one of the few things that really unifies. It's a cultural unifier. I mean, there's not many things that we all have to endure. Uh, and high school is one of them. I mean, yeah. You know, the concept was always first day of school to graduation, and I had this extra footage, uh, you know, free footage, and I was working at a place, and I was so I was while I was working, I was able to. Uh, first, I was able to convince uh, a school board to let me shoot there, and the concept was to follow the senior year, and that was it. I mean, that was I didn't know where that would lead, and since I had made documentaries, I I was fluid and open enough to see what stories would come my way. Sure. But the original idea was to. To set myself uh, fly on the wall in one senior class, graduating class from September to June, and and I thought at the time I was going to do several storylines on more like a Breakfast Club, right? And it turned out I found and the film found its voice through this foreign exchange student. Her name is Ricky, and it's her journey into America or Americana and her senior year, and she's sort of the guide throughout the year, and that becomes the emotional sort of chord. Yeah, it's interesting to watch her go from outsider to insider. Yeah. The, 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 you know, those are kind of the bookends of the original the original movie. Is first she's standing up there with the kids, not sure exactly why she's up there, and at the end she's happy to be there. And, and she learned to be lazy. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, something something we can all all work on is being more lazy. So just real quick, I want to touch on something you said. You said you convinced the school board to let you follow them around. What what was that like? I mean, did you just call them up and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker? Back then, you know, there wasn't a lot of documentaries being made at all. And there was no the, – the main thing that I realized in updating this film and, and, you know, quote, revisiting it is that the time I made the original was just a totally different era in terms of people being aware of what the power of a camera 
I mean, there was no reality TV. There were not a lot of film crews everywhere. People were not, you know, you're not, you didn't point a camera and someone would ask for money. Hey, what are you using? For? So, no, that didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't sign a release. So I got, you know, I got the proper releases. I knew, knew to do that. But, you know, I just said, I want to see what the, I wanted to film, um, you know, the, the attitudes and the social conditions of high school students. And, and they thought it was interesting. And, um, it wasn't as difficult as probably it would be today. I, I'm sure it would be today. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I, yeah. Can't even I, imagine. I think we had access on a level that would be either impossible or extremely hard to get today. Yeah, and one of the things I noticed, I mean, obviously in the interview scenes, the kids are speaking to you in, through the camera. But when, when you're in the classrooms, the, the fourth wall just doesn't get broken. There's two things that happen when you make a documentary. One is – you know, at the, maybe at the very beginning, there's some resistance and why are they here? But if you're embedded the way we were for a year, within a month, within, you know, six weeks, people just forgot we were there. I mean, we were a small crew. We, we just had access on a level that, and also it may be the technology of the era. I mean, no one had a cell phone. No one knew how to, not everyone had Final Cut and knows how to make a film. And it was just, you know, that it was, we were outside of what everyone seems to know how to do nowadays. Yeah. I mean, that just kind of struck me at first. I thought, well, you know, maybe they're kind of in the back corner with the camera, but no, you're in the teacher's faces. You're right <laughs> at the front of the classroom. I mean, these, they're just, they just are used to you being yeah, there. It's I like, think, oh, that shark has always been here in the pool. I'm sure he won't eat us today. <laughs> You know, you're not the first person to have mentioned this. It seems like people who see that first film, you know, before the coda, the extended coda that I put onto it, that's the first thing that comes up is that how do they not look into your camera? How do they, they just ignore you like every other adult? You know, we looked young. We were, we were in our 20s. We don't, we, but still, it was more than that. We did have a tripod. We did have a camera. We had a, set, we had a boom. So you had a microphone hanging all over. But still... I think there's just less filmmaking literacy out there nowadays. You just, you know, everyone knows what a green screen is. <laughs> you know, just, there's yeah, no, there's no magic point. to film because everyone knows how to do it. Back then it was just, we were technicians doing this other geeky thing. Yeah. I think you watch a documentary like this and there are parallels, uh, you know, especially in the classroom scenes to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mr. Hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mr. Higgs, especially, you know, like all the teachers are wearing 70s clothes, the well, kids are wearing 80s clothes, the teachers are wearing 70s clothes. I gonna have to say, you know, here's the thing about Fast Times, and I love that movie. That film originated with a journalistic bent. I mean, Cameron went undercover as a student and, and wrote a script called... Well, he wrote a book. Yeah, yeah it's I've... about that. I mean, it's he did what we did with a camera. He just observed and in, immersed himself... Became, he looked, you know, he was in his 20s and he, he looked like a student. He enrolled as a student and he wrote this, he wrote this novel, which Amy adapted or which he adapted with Amy or Amy, the two of them together. Right. And um, so the origins of that film comes from reality. I mean, it comes from observation and it comes from, right. I mean, they did, you know, it's acted and it's scripted and all. You know. They built a comedy yeah, around it. But well, I mean, it's it comes not all to, funny. I mean, but, what yeah. I love about that film is the authenticity of that film. I mean, even, you know, I, I don't know how much you've seen it or uh, how much you, you know the film, but. I, I'm named Brad. I'm very familiar uh, yeah. with uh, I mean, very, there are certain lines in that that I use quite a bit. The, the, the uh, abortion scene is, is about as realistic as you can get. I mean, that's not even a movie that feels like you're watching a documentary. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I mean, that, so in a way, you know, we're working from the same wheelhouse on some level 
they're good yeah. companion films, those two. But I didn't say, oh, this will be a parallel to that. It's just when you have an autocratic teacher that tells you how to write on a line on a page and you can only use pencils and you can't erase here and you, you know, that's just the condition of, of public that's, school. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and and it comes back to that kind of universality of the high school experience. I well, that's the key to me. The big realization about this film showing it to a new audience, to me, the big realization is not it's not it's less a film. I mean, it's very much a film of the eighties, all the hairstyles and all that stuff. But it's also really it's as much a film about just high school and what the high schoolness is of any generation. I mean, people from the sixties or seventies or eighties or nineties. 2000s come up to me and say, "Hey, I graduated in 20, you know, 10. I graduated in 1994, and this is and they just come. It's just the high schoolness that seem it seems to be um, that that timeless universal thing that we're stuck enduring, <laughs> and everyone and everyone has a story about it. And I just happen to right. do it. The people that it's connecting with has to do with those iconic. Oh my God, I'm stuck in this class and how am I going to get through? How am I going to graduate? <laughs> I think I told you I want to show this to my kids. I haven't done that yet. I have 15-year-old twins who are sophomores in high school right now and I'm very interested to kind of get their take oh, on Well, it. I would imagine they would think it would be like they would love it because I wish their, their school was more lenient. I, I can imagine it's much of going to school now as a teenager is so much more restrictive than that, that film or, or when I went to school because – you know, there's so much more pressure and there's so much, there's less silliness and fun stuff that you can do because you're accountable because they post well, on yeah. YouTube immediately. <laughs> that, that's very true. But I, I mean, I think that there's still some of that out there, but I think that the kids, you know, I can only speak for my kids. They are, they're so focused on educational goals and what they have to do to get where they want to be. That I mean, is my, the kids main work, difference. my kids work way harder. That than is the main difference. Every, every young person who's in, in who's in, uh, you know, I've shown to a bunch of high school students too, and they just can't believe the lack of academic, uh, you know, diligence. And, and, you know, even when the film was out, that was one of the criticisms is like, where aren't these kids learning anything? But, you know, when I did the update and I found these kids, you know, people learn in spite of, high school. They don't learn necessarily because of high school. I mean, a sure. lot of people learn on their own and they become almost everyone I spoke to as an adult, as a 47-year-old, not a 17-year-old, you know, they're doing okay. It's not like the emphasis on social silly stuff had any detriment, it seems like. That's what's the big surprise. Yeah. I thought like there would be, you know, a meth addict in the in the desert who, you know, whatever. I mean, none of that. <laughs> well, I couldn't find him because he was living under an yeah, underpass. Exactly. Or, it didn't yeah, exactly. That didn't seem to be the case. And and that, that in some odd way may be an endorsement for when you're young, you should be social and you should be um, making mistakes. And maybe academics aren't the end all and be all. There's a scene in the, in the documentary that's it's just a kind of a classic – flyer party situation where this house is just overrun with people and and fights are breaking out and and i just i have to ask you were there ever any times where you or your crew were like okay we, we got to get out of here this is this is going sideways this is not good you know what i, I wish <laughs> i wish i could say yes but you know cops light coming from documentaries when you see that stuff, all you want to do is be there. You don't want to run. Yeah, like get, in, get in tight. Get in <laughs> yeah, tight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you could, there's that shot where 
there's that party and there's a, there's a you know it's not a big fight but a fight breaks out and and you can see the cameraman moves in he doesn't move away <laughs> i suppose that's instinct you know, if there was some real danger i i probably would have had to act more like an adult you know it's a different era and a fight in that era means fists and who knows what a fight exactly. in this you know what, era i have means. to say i you know i showed it uh, at a theater here before i did the updates about a year ago so you know or the the revisited uh, stuff mm-hmm. And a lot of the kids who were in that film showed up at the at the, at the theater. Yeah, some of the footage is in. The, yeah, exactly. In the... So I, I I was shooting that. Some of that's in there. I asked them afterward. I said, you know what? Now that I've you've seen this, I is that was that was that party scene? Did I uh, misrepresent it, or was that just a one of a thing? And the other parties were not that big, and there was not that much drinking. And how off was I? About that, and every every single person goes, "Oh, that was nothing." I mean, there are tons of that was, you, you just hit one of them. Go, God, that, you know, I kept thinking all these years, like I happened to stumble across the one big party, like the and they one. go, "Oh my God, that was like you know, we had those every weekend." So one one thing I have to compliment you on: there's the footage that's in that extra, the revisited part where you're um, talking with the people at that screening, and you pick this girl out of the crowd. You're like, you're that person from the movie. You're the girl that cheated on the test. You just recognized her. Bam! You could see in her face, just like, oh my god! I don't, I don't know how it was because I was so overwhelmed that there were so many. There had to be thirty, forty people from school who showed up who I hadn't seen since then. And I just saw her, and it was her voice and her mannerism, and I just I winged it. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you you stuck the landing on that one. So, I, and what was it like to reconnect with these people? I mean, were were they kind of the same? Did you feel like they changed a lot? You know, to me, I mean, as a director, you there's two uh, there are two processes that you know you make the film and you show it to someone like you or whatever, and you hope there's some resonance and people connect and that's, you know, it's very um, validating at least up to now it's been that. So that's one aspect. And the other aspect is the personal journey that I took that that's independent of the reaction of an audience. Uh, And just for me to call up these, you know, I hired two researchers and we tried to find a lot of these students. It took, you know, I had about six months to do this and just making cold calls to someone who I hadn't spoke with, in 30 years and just reintroducing myself and hey most people had never seen the film they sort of remember me it was a remarkable experience i mean it was something that i I'll, it'll never happen to me again in, in another movie clearly and it was just incredibly in some way profound because i would engage in a conversation with someone you know, and I'm talking about like, okay, so what happened in your life? <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, right, so, yeah, yeah, catch me yeah, up. Yeah, there's a lot of guys. And then I would meet them and I would film them. And then I would see them and all I remember is what they were at 17 and, you know, either the day or the week or the month that I knew them. And I would see a semblance of their, mostly their behavior, their voice, their phrasing or their gestures or their body language. But they're completely different people now. Well, we all are and we aren't. I mean, I think one of the one of the guys you catch up with says, you know, I hope they don't realize I'm just a 15-year-old kid with a lot of years under my belt. I mean, I think everybody can relate to that. I, I think in a way you don't leave your 17-year-old self. On some level, in your body, you still have that hope and that aspiration and that sense of yourself in spite of the years passing on. And I think that's probably, you know, there's a kind of bittersweet melancholy to that. But I don't think anyone perceives themselves as the age they are. They mostly perceive themselves as their 
teens or 20s. That's, you know, yeah. I remember my father saying that in his 80s. Like, I look in the mirror and I'm, I'm still a 20-year-old. Who's <laughs> that old guy? Yeah. So there's another moment, and you know, we talk about kind of emotional impact and the bittersweetness. There's a moment that really sticks with me from the original documentary. Ricky's getting on the jetway, and first of all, I'm like, oh my gosh, anybody could go into the airport at that point. You didn't have to have a ticket. But but you, I figured out when I watched again, you break into the frame and give her a hug as she's getting on the plane, and it's just it's a very human it's just a very human moment in the film, and it just. I just I'd be curious to know what you were feeling watching her get on the plane. Are you thinking there goes my narrative? Is no, the, well, that happened, that's my movie? Or? I was I was uh, in you know obviously I was I spent a year with her and 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 with a lot. But I knew the other people lived here, but she was going back to Finland, and there was a moment where she's going down the plank into the plane, and I'm holding the boom mic, and I didn't get to say goodbye to her. We're filming her saying goodbye to everyone else. Right. You're, and, yeah. You don't. And get I to don't. And I go, wait a second. I spent it you know, nine months. So I just, I didn't do it to break the frame. I just did it as a, as a normal thing just because I wanted to say goodbye to her. And I remember, well, and that's what makes it powerful. I mean, I just felt, and I remember at the, in the editing room, I I was showing uh, another editor. I said, so how do I end this film? I don't have the shot of her walking down the hall. And I showed him the footage and it never occurred to me to include myself. I'd never thought of it. I didn't think of it then. I didn't think, and it took another editor who over my shoulder said, just, just, I go, I know I can't do that. It shows myself. I'm not supposed to, you're not supposed to show yourself in a movie. And, and he said, just use that. Yeah. This is the one time you can break. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting, but it took, it took someone else to suggest that, but it wasn't something I thought of at the moment I was saying goodbye to her because until, you know, last year when I saw her again, I thought that would be the very last time I would see her. So what what was it like to see her again? I mean, you, obviously you traveled to Finland or somebody no, sent a camera I over Finland. there. I went to Finland, definitely. Um, I called her up and and I said, you know, this was sort of motivated by knowing that the 30th anniversary of that class was graduating. And I that started, that's when I started to reach out to people. And, you know, I had to, I had to include her because she's, she's our voice. And so I called her and she was just, so you know, come by and I, you know, I have frequent flyer miles. <laughs> and so I, I had a, a crew there, a second crew and I had a camera and mm-hmm. it was amazing. I mean, I, again, like I said, it, I, don't, I don't know how much is communicated in the body of the film. I would think some of it is, but for me personally to sit down and, and reframe this, her face, like she did an interview with me and, you know, I, and, and that was the very first real professional job I did back then when she was 17 and to, and to, and to look through that frame and to feel and to see, you know, her as an adult, you know, a semblance of the person who I knew then. But, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking nothing has changed because I'm still operating a camera and I, and of course she's yeah. Asian. I haven't. And, you know, all, all, the <laughs> all the complications of like, oh my God, what am I doing? And, and you realize that life is so rich and short and it's really about relationships and it's kind of – it was very emotional for me. I, just, well, just to it shoot. was clearly emotional for her too. Oh, yeah. we were, well, she it was emotional just, for all of us watching she it. Was, she was just amazed that I took the initiative to get there. She just couldn't – like, why are you coming here? What does it matter? You know, you do a lot of these projects, these documentaries as, a, as an instinct. It's instinctual. Like mm-hmm. uh, you don't really know where it leads. You just know you have an idea to touch – to, to investigate something, but you really have no idea what the final thing will be. But I knew that having Ricky involved had to be part of it. So, um, and one of the most amazing things that I've ever, ever shot in my life was filming her watching that movie with her family 
and with her daughter who was 17 sitting next to her. And, and somehow being in that room and framing her face and her daughter's face who looks similar. Oh, and they're yeah. watching the film that I made then. And I have the relationship in the room that precedes her husband, that precedes her family. And I have the longest relationship with her in the room. And I, I'm watching that entire interim react to the thing oh, i was a mess during that scene why is she not crying more <laughs> she should be like curled up in a ball <laughs> i can't describe the emotions to it I, all of a sudden I'm, I'm filming her and she's tearing up watching her 17 year old self sitting next to her daughter who's the same age as she was in the film and as she's tearing up i'm looking in the lens and i'm tearing up i'm going oh my god what's happening in this room <laughs> yeah i gotta hold it together yeah it was just and i didn't say a word for the entire hour we didn't speak. I didn't interrupt. We just, we, I, I told them, we're going to show you the entire film. We're not going to talk. Whatever happens, happens. And we had two cameras shooting and we just let it run. And all that stuff is completely what happened while they were watching that film. Yeah. It was fun to see the reaction of like the younger kids, or the, the younger boys, like whatever. <laughs> and the, the older daughter who, as it turns out, is on the verge of graduating from school herself. It's this, you know, you can kind of see, her, you know, being a little embarrassed by this, some of the things her mom is doing, but then also kind of getting a little better understanding where her mom's coming from. It's it's a powerful moment. Everyone seems to react to that, and I I still haven't been able to articulate what is going on there. I just know that it's it's a real moment, and it's sort of honest. And I, I can't analyze it. It's a, the bittersweetness, I guess, kind of presented there for you to see. I was I remember <laughs> I came back after shooting that scene. And I went to the hotel room and I called Linda, who I produced the film with, I mentioned, and I was just rambling for like two hours, just describe. I can't believe what I just shot. <laughs> you know? So I'm glad it played. I'm glad it played out for you. It seems um, a lot of people tend to react to that scene. Well, yeah, I really it really resonated, and I think you know some of that is that I have kids that are about that age too. Do you remember your high school well? Oh, very well, absolutely. Well, you know the thing about why it's a little bit like what we mentioned earlier. There, there is a notion that you don't, we don't accept our own aging process. We, we age and we, you know, you take a lot of hits growing up and there's a lot of loss and there's a lot of difficulties. But in your heart, who your, who your essence is, you think of yourself as someone who hold on to the promise of what it's like and the possibility of being, being in your teens or early 20s. Maybe that's why there's an audience for this film. I mean, I, that's what I'm, it's tapping into. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you were talking about Cameron Crowe on Fast Times. Um, he, there's a quote he did for a book, nothing lasts forever except high school. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a little bit of that in this film. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but, you know, I, I'm at the stage now where, you know, I finished this film. It's playing at a few select screenings. And I'm hoping to get a distributor to get it to a broader audience. But hopefully within the next few months, I'll have some kind of release plan and strategy and uh, to get this on to a broader uh, audience. Well, I, I certainly hope you do because I, I think this is a film that people will enjoy seeing and, and will get a lot out of. Yeah, like you said, there's, there's a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of laugh out loud moments too in it too. But when you look, especially, oh, absolutely. Time, especially absolutely. looking back at that era. Uh, yeah, I mean, and some of that is just the you know the hairstyles and the like. You wore that to school. Did you think about that? Yeah. You know, did you do that on purpose? Was, yeah, was that a choice? <laughs> well, I certainly hope that that comes soon because, like I said, I think that uh, at least the stuck in the '80s audience will be really interested to see it. Well, like I say, there'll there'll be a few screenings, and you know, I can, you know, if if someone stays in touch with the All American High Facebook page, well, we'll keep on top of it on our Facebook page too, and make sure that uh, that our listeners know what's coming up. Oh, good. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us today, Kiva, or talk with me today, I should say. I, I like your show, and I, I've listened to your other podcast. And oh no, no, well, I, and you still and you still agreed I, to talk to us. That's touching. <laughs> and I hope I hope to talk to you again, but I hope uh, I'll be able to meet Stephen too. Yeah, and uh, we will keep everybody posted on when and where they can see this film. If you get a chance, you got to go see it. That's that's all I'm saying about that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate your support. This is the time. Great job, Brad. Amazing job. Well, thank you. I, you know, I'd talked with him before, so it was a lot less, uh, maybe a lot less daunting than it would have been. Uh, you know, thank you for tossing me a softball for my first solo interview, Spearsy. <laughs> what, you didn't want to interview uh, Steve Perry for your first one? Uh, I think 80s Nation deserves a little bit better. <laughs> Interviews are always tough. I don't care who it is. I get nervous. I get I I rewrite my questions 100 times over. And they never turn out exactly like you expect that they are. But uh, you guys had a nice conversational tone. And, you know, obviously I had seen the movie before I I heard your interview. It's nice that you don't give too much away. But I love the part where Kiva talks about your 17-year-old self. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's stuck in the 80s right there. I'm sitting there thinking, that's our whole podcast. (laughs) That's our thesis, man. That's, That's us. Kiva, you are of the tribe, my friend. He gets it. I mean, that is what Stuck in the 80s is all about. And I, I tried it. I remember watching the movie and then listening to the interview, and I started thinking back to my 17 my year old self and, you know, thinking what's the same and what's different. And I, I mean, I kind of lost myself in time there for a while because I, I mean, literally for half an hour, I'm going over, you know, politically, am, am, I, am I the same? Uh, you know, obviously, my taste in music and movies hasn't changed at all. But yeah, but but then I thought about it, and really, not a whole the core of who I am is still, you know, was buried somewhere in that seventeen-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I texted you this. You know, when I got to his quote, where he says, "I think in a way, you don't leave your seventeen-year-old self." I was just like, I had to put the, I had to set it down for a minute. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, it kind of hits you. I remember <laughs> I tell I tell the tell Stuckney's listeners out there. When Brad first saw it, um, it was that Monday night or whatever. Yeah, it was a Monday. I remember getting text from you. I, I think I went to bed like ridiculously early. Um, I'm sure Wild Turkey had nothing to do with it. Of course not. <laughs> not, on, not on a Monday. That's and, crazy talk. <laughs> I woke up the next day and there's these texts from you just like Spearsy. Man. Just like just one word. Like there's like 10 of them in a row. <laughs> oh, you know, oh, my God. 
darkness, you know, darkness, darkness and light and the darkness like, and the light. They struggle. And, and you advised me when I saw it, you're like, you know, find the darkest room you have, you know, <laughs> get your bottle of wild turkey and a box of Kleenex. I'm like, dude, that's like every night for me. <laughs> Except for I, I didn't know what you wanted me to do with the Kleenex, but they're always around. Know, just in case. You I know. have them at my computer. I have them over by the couch. You know. We're not giving away too much here, but there's at the end when when the this foreign exchange student that basically is the focus of the story, when she's watching the documentary with her family, including her daughter who is 17, I, I'm just I'm a, was a mess. Well, you got two 15 year olds. That's true, but I'm like, why is she not crying more? I want, you know, I couldn't figure out how she was holding it together as much as she was. Yeah. It's Kiva was brilliant in the sense that he quickly found what should have been what the focus point was and it's yeah, the exchange student. Yeah. It's from Finland, is it? Yeah, yeah. And it's the outsider that allows, you know, that kind of allows the narrative to flow. Right. It's it's without her, I, I'm not sure I can't imagine the movie without her. She is the key to it. And her the things that she says about American culture at that time, about about um, the respect or lack of respect kids give to, to older people, the, the, the mall culture, which was much yeah. which was a big thing in the eighties here in the United States, not so in Finland, but is today. It's now, right. So it's just I you really learn a ton. I mean I just can't say enough good things. I I'm I'm hoping I get to see this in a big screen theater. I would love to see yeah, this for the with people. a big crowd of people. Oh yeah. it was great. It was a lot Excellent. of fun. And the the stuff that you know that we didn't really talk about in the interview is there's some stuff in this movie that's just hilarious. There's this one of the classes that he spends a fair bit of time in is this survival of singles class is like this weird <laughs> kind of sociology light class and they get they get mock married and then they get mock divorced and it's just it's like they have this <laughs> show this mock wedding ceremony where the guy who's the officiant is he's got this weird kind of emo phillips bowl cut and he's yeah. wearing this giant paper construction right construction paper heart thing and he's he's <laughs> exhorting the students to take this seriously and i'm yeah, like yeah. did you look in the mirror dude <laughs> you know i'm gonna stop you right there because i had that class in high school it was called independent living <laughs> what are you just trying to fill your day yes because okay so i mean you know cast your mind back you know 30 years because it i mean it was 30 years for us too Indeed. and um i had already been accepted to college uh, I got accepted to college, I think, in October of my senior year. Oh, wow. You, that's really early. Yeah. I had already completed like pretty much every uh, you know, prerequisite for graduation. So my my spring semester of my senior year, I filled it up with just blow-off classes. And um, <laughs> independent living was one of them. And we did mock marriages and we had um, – Oh, they taught you how to change a tire. You'd all go outside and change a tire on a car. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we had we took. I mean, we we would like we would fill out a, a tax return. Like they would give us here's a here's a W two. Fill out your here's a ten ninety nine. Fill out your tax return. Stuff like that. So I mean, how much of that I retained, other than the memories of it. Yeah, <laughs> clearly yeah. the the whole fake marriage thing taught me nothing. The joke there is left as an exercise to the listener. It was a weird combination of like practical knowledge and Tony Robbins. You know, it was sort of yeah. like I remember like every week we had to write like a greeting card that we would give to like our our the person who sat next to us, congratulating them on something. 
or just saying, you know, <laughs> that's that's bizarre. That it was bizarre. it was like it was just this way of like reminding you to be polite to other people, even if you don't necessarily mean it. It's, it's that is a good life skill. Thus, the thin veneer of society will be maintained. Yeah. So I mean. That there's so that could have been shot at my high school, no yeah. question about it. The same exact, we had the metal burnouts, you know, we had the, every every oh, yeah. click he had it. Was it Torrance? Yeah, Torrance High. Everything he had Torrance. I had a countryside, you know, in Florida. So, well, so there's that the universality uh, of the high school experience. Now I'm, now I'm getting wispy a little bit here. Well, there's only one thing that can fix that. The, the saggies. Ah, the theme song to Reader Ball Bag. We love this segment. This letter comes from Trinette Mackey, a.k.a. T-Mac. And Brad, you're going to do the honors. I'd be happy to. So you know why Trinette Mackey gave herself that nickname? Because she was afraid we'd mispronounce her name. Trinette? Yeah, that's a tough one. Not really. I mean, my first girlfriend was Jeanette. I'm being sarcastic, Steve. Okay. Can't <laughs> sorry, you can't the whole Oklahoma face. LA thing sarcasm it doesn't work for me. I, you know, sorry, Everything man. You say sounds sarcastic. Oh, good. Well, it's working then. Or completely serious. Go ahead. Okay, Trinette, or Trinity, as I like to call her. <clears throat> Trinette writes, "Hi, Stephen Brad. I'm sitting here at work listening to my iPod on shuffle. Suddenly, I hear the familiar notes of more than this, and it hits me." I don't think my favorite podcast has ever done a show on Roxy Music or Brian Ferry. Well, which is her favorite podcast? Do you think she's talking about This American Life or? <laughs> Come on. Okay. I had to take a moment to shake off the shock. What? How? Okay. Okay. I can hear your argument that the band was really a 70s band. But come on, guys. They made two of the most beautiful albums you'll ever hear in the 80s. Brian's 1985 solo album was his biggest selling album in the U.S., and the single Slave to Love was in heavy rotation on MTV. Also appeared in the Nine and a Half Week soundtrack and a Miami Vice episode. You've talked about how many 80s bands were influenced by Roxy several times. They could easily be labeled the fathers of the new romantic movement. I wouldn't argue with that. Trinette continues, As for Brian's solo work, I know they weren't chart toppers, but Avalon, Flesh and Blood, and Boys and Girls were the lush romantic music to my life in the mid-80s. <sighs> These songs evoke sweet memories of holding hands, starry nights, hanging out with friends on the riverfront, sitting around a fire at summer camp, and the joys of owning one's first car. I wore out Avalon on cassette. I know I cannot be the only fan of the suave, crooning Brian Ferry in 80s Nation. Don't forget, he has a song on the She's Having a Baby soundtrack, and yes, I will be happy to bring up John Hughes if it will further my cause. Always stuck in the 80s. Trinette Mackey. Wow, that's a good one. First of all, I, I would love to do a podcast on Roxy Music or Brian Ferry. And I've been kind of waiting. I've been hoping for the chance to do one, but I'm hoping for the chance to get an interview. Oh, yeah. And I know he's touring. I think he's actually touring as we speak because I know First Wave on Sirius, like pretty much every single time I listen to him, they're always telling you where Brian Ferry is any given night. But he's not coming anywhere near Florida. just announced a huge UK tour. Yeah, yeah. See, he's not going to come down to Florida. So the chance of me getting an interview with him, you know, I would have to really luck out. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to try. Um, as far as them being the late, uh, the fathers of the new romantic movie movement, absolutely, completely, 100%. Um, 
the uh, the book Mad World that everyone's talking about these days has a uh, forward by Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran, and and he pretty much says, "You want to know who started every British band in the in eighties? It was uh, Roxy <laughs> Music and and David Bowie, the two of them." Yeah, and so th- there's no question in my mind. And when we did a podcast, of, oh god, it's probably six months now. We did a maybe it's. Couldn't have been a year ago. We did a show on um, origin of '80s music, and it was me, you, and Drew. And and I and I used Roxy music as my example. So um, I forget which uh, "Love Is the Drug" was the song that I picked. Um, and they play that all the time on First Wave. I get by the way, I get five dollars yeah. every time I say First Wave. First Wave, really? No, but that'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> hey, we we could we could name drop just like Richard Blade does. Heck, I had lunch today with Dave Kahan. <laughs> I had lunch today with Cat Benatar. But uh, I, I love all the the, the DJs on, on First Wave, though. Totally worth the money to, to get that. Um, so, yes, I absolutely positively would love to do uh, Brian Ferry. I just got to get I got to get him on the phone. I see here that uh, Trinette also has a PPTMN. So shall we cue? Yeah, it's a daily double. Shall we cue the music? Hit it, maestro. Ah, please, please tell me now. One of my favorite segments. I wish we got to do it more often. PPTMN. Yeah. We used to have to sing that. Thank God we don't have to do that anymore. Um, oh, oh I'm, I don't have to do that anymore? No. I so, like to exercise my, my lovely baritone voice. <laughs> you don't have a baritone voice, do you? Well, it ain't no tenor, son. <laughs> what am I? Like a mezzo-soprano? I don't even know what any of that means. <laughs> You're more a contralto. Oh. Jeez, or are you dick. just a contrarian? <laughs> anyway, Trinette has a question for us. Um, hi, Brad and Steve. Do you have a romantic soundtrack of your life album from the 80s or any other decade? Or is this more of a girl thing? Uh, huh. can a I romantic go with soundtrack. More of, of a girl of, thing? Uh, yeah, I'm going with more of a girl thing. Now, we made mixed. You mean? Uh, does she mean like one soundtrack? One romantic soundtrack? I guess. I mean, she talks about um, Brian Ferry and and uh, Roxy Music being the romantic soundtrack of her mid-80s. Holding hands, long walks on the beach, home-cooked meals. Oh, God. No. Ugh. I, I dabble in online dating, and I automatically eject any profile that, that talks about walks on the beach. I just want you to, to know that. It's overrated. <laughs> Overrated. It's, it's like, yes, of course. You like walking on a beach. We all live in Florida. We get that. You Move can't on. go anywhere without walking on the beach. In Do Florida. you like 80s music or not? <laughs> I'm looking for that. That's what I'm looking for check here. Check the box, yes, or check the yeah. box, no. No, you check the box, no. And let me move on to the next, you know, cruel temptress out there. <laughs> um, romantic soundtrack of our. Uh, does Purple Rain count as a romantic soundtrack? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of dirty. Well, you know, sometimes romance is that way. But I used it to kind of to woo a to woo a woman. Woo strumpets. That was like my thing. Or, or you know what? Certain songs by Michael Jackson, as sure. we all know from from Stuck in Ease history. Uh, uh, Human Nature is a good oh, one. Human Nature. But I, but I, but one soundtrack. Yeah, I can't think of an album that. But you know, my brain doesn't work that way. Maybe. Okay, uh, so let's let's adjust the, the question. Songs. A bit, yeah. Songs, songs that if you made a mixtape, like a romantic mixtape, which I know you've done, yeah, and, and of I, know, I know that I know that I've done that. What are your must includes? Just give me like two or three. Well, okay, so I mean, I, I made one actually for my wife this year, 
Is it still this year? Yeah, this year for <laughs> for Valentine's Day, and I used um, "You Take Me Up" by the Thompson Twins. I love that song. That's a great song. And another uh, one that I like to use is the live version of "I Burn for You" from Sting's first solo album. I don't remember that one. Oh, it's a great song. Oh. Huh. Is that Dream, Dream of the Blue Turtles? Yeah. Well, you know, they did a live uh, Bring on the Night was a live uh, album they released from that tour. It's not on Dream of the Blue Turtles, I don't think. You know, I don't own that album, but that's a pretty good album that would be pretty good. I'm pretty sure that's been used before. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah, what do you I, got, Spearsy? Well, True by Spano Ballet, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, it's classic. Yeah, but is it, is it too cliche? For you to use? No, it's your it's your it's your touchstone. It's your sigil. Sigil. How do you say that word? I don't know. You asked me to pronounce something correctly. Um, oh, that's right. You're a print journalist. Sorry. <laughs> I'm lucky I have this gig. The only reason I have this gig is because I don't get paid for it. <laughs> Spin of <Valley's> true. <laughs> I'll tell you the secret weapon, and I, I swear to God, this I love this song. Period. But it's especially good, you know, it's as a romantic song. I don't know that women would agree with me, though. I'm, I'm going to say that right now. Uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Power of Love. I don't think I'm familiar with that. That's uh, – I suppose that's a little bit different than the Huey Lewis uh, <laughs> offering just, from just, Back to the Future. Just a little – just a tiny, tiny little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, Slave to Love by Brian Ferry would obviously be a good one. I think Lady in Red would get you punched, right? If you tried to use uh, yeah, that. Yeah, probably. Um, it's become kind of a joke song now. You know, like, I don't know. But I kind of like it, I got to admit. I'm Googling right now because I bet some, somewhere along the line in 10 years, surely I have written a blog item about most romantic uh, songs of the 80s. This rambling PPTMN answer brought to you by Richard Blade. Anyway, let's just look at this. 50 best love songs in the 80s from from uh, the Telegraph in the UK. Let's see what they have. I just got to – because we, we want to make sure we give her a proper answer. Oh, my God. There's some bad ones on here. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, <laughs> Lionel Richie, hello. Uh, Not going to do it. Oh, my God. Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner. No. Eh, it's not overplayed. terrible. It's overplayed. overplayed. It is overplayed. Um, I don't see how Bizarre Love Triangle from New Order – I mean, I get that the lyrics are kind really? of romantic, but yeah, yeah. It's not, every time I, I see you falling, I get down on my knees and pray. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's more unrequited. I mean, it's yeah. not. Yeah. Right. I think the whole point here is that I, I found you. Let's celebrate our love. Tonight, I celebrate. Uh, don't make me sing that. It's too late. Careless Whisper. Um, uh, Careless, no, that's not a romantic song. Um, let's see what else they have. What about... Um, Barry White, never going to give you up. It must be love from Madness. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, look. They have Power of Love by Frankie Goes to Hollywood on their list. Wow. I, I think somebody by Depeche Mode is, uh, is a solid contender. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. We'll win with this one. Uh, ABC, All of My Heart. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Or I was going to yeah. say ABC, Be Near Me. But All of My yeah, Heart, I think, is better. It is probably a little bit better. Anyway, if you have a PPTMN question for us, we promise we won't ramble on for 20 minutes on your answer. We focused and prepared. Well, and, and to, to uh, award you for or listening to us ramble on there, I'll build a playlist with all of this nonsense on it, and you can woo uh, whatever uh, person you wish to woo with it. There'll be no wooing at the lair unless I'm trying to woo the cat. 
So that's illegal, dude. <laughs> not in Florida. Apparently everything is legal I'm, I'm here. I'm really sorry to know that you knew that right away. <laughs> uh, hey, remember to send your PPTMNs to us. Just put PPTMN in the subject line and fire them off to SIT80s at gmail.com. We'll be right back after this commercial break. We're lost. My fault, but you. No. Food? Yes. Crunchy food. C-3PO's. New Kellogg's C-3PO's. Twin rings phased together for a crunchy new force at breakfast. Yeah, the force is with us. A delicious part of this nutritious breakfast. Okay. Well, of course, how much? Yeah. Oh, my. C-3PO's. A new force at breakfast. And we're back, and we have just a few minutes left, and we sort of kind of, you know, chipping away here at the old nostalgia stone, a little deeper than normal this week, and so we thought, let's talk about a couple songs that sort of make you want to feel nostalgic about our younger days. And I'm not talking about songs that maybe you have an attachment to for one particular reason, like like I, I have an attachment to Overkill by Men at Work because it invokes a specific memory to me. It reaches into your brain and it grabs right, a right. Part it triggers it. my memory. It doesn't trigger any, trigger anybody else's memory. So what I'm thinking about doing is like, let's see if we can name like three or four songs here that are a celebration of the past. And I think the first one you have to mention, I, and the reason I, it, it's the song that opens the show and probably the song that'll end the show. Um, and the only reason it's here is because I heard on the way to work today on ching ching five dollars for me first wave on Sirius. <laughs> it was seriously it was on it was on uh, satellite radio this morning, and I just was like, oh god, I just love you know Forever Young by Alphaville. I just love that song for some reason. Do I, I don't know that I want to hear it thirty times a day for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, but, it's it, once you get past the fact that the, it's just so synthesizy the. It's a good song. It's a good song. I mean, I, we wouldn't have killed them to use some real instruments somewhere along the line. Oh, come on. Real instruments are overrated. Sorry. You, you know, music snob. Oh, geez. I mean, so you don't like electronica then? No, I, I love electronica. But what bothers me is when, you know, hardworking trumpet players have to stand on the corner with a cardboard sign saying, we'll play trumpet for food. And some guy is programming their stuff on their Fairlight. Well, the next time, learn to play the keyboard instead of the trumpet. Well, I don't know how to play either. So play I guess both. I'm safe. So anyway, um. <laughs> Another song that occurs to me, uh, "Life in a Northern Town" by the Dream oh, Academy. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good choice. That's got um, a that's got a lovely English horn solo in it, Steve. Yeah. I'm sure it's playing on a keyboard. Oh, the uh, cut me deep, Spearsy. Another song, uh, you know, I think we used it earlier in the show too. Uh, this is the time by Billy Joel, which yeah. is, by the way, an artist that we never talk about on Stuck in the Eighties. Never. Why that is. Um, there seems to be like this. Uh, unspoken effort to kind of like erase him from I know you that. don't like an innocent man I like that album but I think part of it is what you're talking about it, it's something that I listened to a lot when it was first out so it kind of connects me back to you know 16 year old Brad who's just a great guy let's face it was he better than the 17 year old Brad probably not no I'm getting better every year Spearsy every uh, not. damn every year. day every day I'm just 24 hours closer to death well, that's true for all of us. So do not listen to uh, Eddie Money's I Want to Go Back. Oh, I love that song. God, I love that song. 
when we did the um, one of the first concert uh, podcasts we ever did. I think we just talked about this. We a did in the last ago. show. Yeah, yeah, and and it, it opens with Eddie Money. I want to go back and I remember just like really getting misty when I heard him play it. And I think I don't think we saw him perform live. We were just like setting up or, or taking down our gear or something like that. And I could hear him playing it in the background. I'm just like, oh my god, this is like some scene from a John Hughes movie. Except for John Hughes would never use an Eddie Money song. <laughs> he never would. Anyway, if you have a particularly um, song that to you screams nostalgia or the celebration of the past, share it with us. Again, email it to us. We'll, we'll try to build the ultimate nostalgia song email list. And I want people to be enthusiastic about this film. It's a, it's a, it's a great documentary. Kiva Rosenfeld did a great job. I can't wait. I hope to get a chance to speak to him soon or at least uh, chat back and forth via email and tell him what a great job he's done. We Stay tuned to our, our blog and our Facebook page. If you don't like us already on Facebook, go find our Facebook page and like us because we post links to the blog there. That, you know, Every day there's links on Stuck in the 80s Facebook page, and it's good stuff. And we will post any news we have of All-American High Revisited at any showing that comes around. So in the meantime, I, uh, I can't thank Kiva Rosenfeld enough for, for joining the show and, and spending the time with you. Um, I, cannot, I cannot say this enough, Brad. Amazing job with that interview. You knocked it out of the park. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Steve. In the meantime, myself, Kiva, uh, Ricky in Finland, and Brad and the cruising vessel, we remain here along with Alphaville, forever young and stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a Class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly.